It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. In the last episode, I discussed the fundamental parameters 8 through 10 of God's will. I consider now the 11th fundamental parameter. The Christian faith is otherworldly. Scripture tells us, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1a to verse 2. Christians do not belong to an earthly city or state. We are simply a resident here. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20a. Our blessings are there, not on earth. We have a building of a God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Before we came to Christ, we were aliens outside the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. But now we have become fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. The Apostle Peter expresses this otherworldly attitude, saying, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. James writes, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world in James chapter 1 verse 27. The Apostle John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's in First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. This is what the New Testament writers kept on saying. David Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, God's Ultimate Purpose, an Exposition of Ephesians 1, says, The modern man, we are told, is not interested in an otherworldly view, 
But whether we like it or not, the fact is that Christians are citizens of another realm. Being otherworldly does not mean that we become monks or hermits, but it does mean that we have a right view of this world and our relationship to it. It is as if we were a homeless person taken by the hand, led to a palace, washed, fed, adopted as a son, and made a member of God's family. And resulting from all this, we are now enjoying fellowship with the Father God and with the Son through the, through the Spirit. Jesus said, This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's in John chapter 17, verse 3. Now let me talk about the area determined by the 11 fundamental parameters. This is an area in which we can operate and be confident we are pleasing God. Think of an octagon drawn on a blackboard with three small holes in the middle of the octagon. This is how I think of the area determined by the 11 fundamental parameters. I hope this is clear to all. Of course, some people may come up with some additional parameters. We could have additional wormholes in the octagon. Now let's return to discuss God's plan. Previously, I said, to be able to discern the will of God rests on two fundamental facts. First, the reality that God has a plan for his people. Second, the ability of God to communicate that plan to us. Has God a plan for individuals? Indeed, he has. The Apostle Paul writes, According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, which means stewardship or administration, that is, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, and chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. God had a plan for the redemption of his people from Egyptian bondage when he guided them through the sea and the desert by a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. God had a plan for the return of his people from Babylonian exile when he guided them by setting Cyrus on the throne and inspiring him to send the Jews home to build the temple in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. He had a plan for Jesus, his ministry, and even his death. 
Jesus' whole business on earth was to do his Father's will. God had a plan for Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. He had a plan for Paul. In five of his epistles, Paul announces himself as an apostle by the will of God. Given these biblical facts, we can conclude that God has a plan for each of his children. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 gives multiple aspects of God's will. Allow me to list some of them. First, blessing in chapter 1 verse 3. Motive, love, sonship. Chapter 1 verse 4, 5 and 6. Pleasure, chapter 1 verses 5 and 9. Predestination, Chapter 1, verse 5 and 11. Redemption, chapter 1, verse 7 and 14. Mystery, chapter 1, verse 9. Purpose, chapter 1, verse 9. Knowledge, chapter 1, verse 9. Consummation, chapter 1, verse 10. Plan, chapter 1, verse 11. Praise of His glory, chapter 1, verse 12. The promised Holy Spirit, chapter 1, verse 13. Inheritance, chapter 1, verse 14. In his book, Ephesians, an expository commentary, James Boyce Montgomery says, Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, is actually a single sentence that embraces most of the essential doctrines of Christianity. It deals with the doctrine of God, the Trinity, election, the work of Christ, forgiveness, the gospel, grace, creation, the consummation of world history when all things are brought together in subjection to Christ and others besides. In this collection of doctrines, Paul also talks about the Holy Spirit. What we have in verses 11 through 14 is a rich statement of the chief doctrines of the Holy Spirit and His work. Boaz previously said, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul presents the greatest news story there has ever been as he traces out the plan of salvation that began in the mind of God even before the beginning of this world and which will be continued throughout all eternity. The story has three movements, like a symphony. The first movement is the sovereign election of God according to which he has chosen to bless a special people with every possible spiritual blessings in his Son, Jesus Christ. The second movement is the accomplishing of that purpose through the redeeming death of Jesus. It is through that death that these especially chosen people have forgiveness of sins and are brought under Christ's lordship. Boyce continues, The final movement concerns the work of the Holy Spirit. In a previous episode, I've made some comments about three keys to to determining God's will for individual believers in Christ. Before discussing other keys, let me review the first three keys. First, search the scriptures. 
If you want to know the will of God, it starts with the Word of God. You and I have the privilege, through the Scriptures, of having a glimpse of the Heavenly Father's plan and purpose. The author of the book of Hebrews gives a sense of how important the Scriptures are. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That can be found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The image of a two-edged sword can have two distinct interpretations. First, there is the idea of weaponry. Jesus used scripture to counter Satan's temptations in the wilderness. So in that sense, the word of God is a weapon of defense. Second, the other edge can be used to free us from the impediments that entangle us and enslave us, like, for example, wrong thinking and wrong behavior. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In that sense, the word of God is a weapon of offense. Second, pray to know God's revealed will. The biblical idea of prayer is that it is inseparable from the scriptures. This is communion with God the Father, who has revealed himself in the Bible and in the persons of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Prayer demonstrates our dependence on God. If words and language mean anything, then Jesus gave the true church the power of attorney, that is, the authority to use his name. Jesus said, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name, Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. That's in John 16, verse 24. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That's in John 15, verse 16b. In other words, we know that the Father always hears Jesus, and when we pray in Jesus' name, it is as though Jesus himself were praying because he takes our place. Third key, be sure to put into practice what you have discovered. Subtopic A, follow the light you already have. The psalmist said this to God, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. This is a lamp, not a searchlight. The illumination the psalmist was talking about can be compared to a flashlight, which allows us to see a few feet at night, but not for miles. God rarely provides us with enough light to see every step we need in the future. But we can anticipate he will give us enough direction to take the next step. Subtopic B. Your giftedness can be decisive either for or against the next step. Subtopic C. The peace of God 
can confirm you are in the will of God. Colossians 3.15 tells us, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. One translation of rule is act as an umpire, telling you what is true and what is not. Allow me to close this episode by reminding you to exercise daily. Walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.